0: Try to make a good, efficient right. time of our time together, and as soon as I fix um, this, we'll be ready to go. You know, I, oh, I'm putting them on backwards. That's why right. we'll have a little bit of time later before we, we, uh, we pray to have some feedback. But I, I'm really not. Don't see our time this afternoon as a big rah-rah speech kind of time where I'm trying to fire up the salespeople to go out and you know. Make it, I just, I just, that's not going to work, right? You know, I'm not trying to get a bunch of go team, go chants out of you, you know, that kind of thing or, or whatnot. I, I really think it's just a time for us to really kind of get back to basics, kind of consider really who we are, what we're about, and, and then get some time to really pray about those things, not not only the core things, but then the, the ministries that flow out of those, and that's what we're going to do today. But I, I feel, I really feel drawn to um, to use a text from 1 Samuel chapter 14, I'd love for you to pull out your Bibles to, and, and turn over to 1 Samuel 14 with me because um, I, I think there's a lot of things in here to me that, that just speak the things that we need to be thinking and praying about as we, we kind of launch back into all the things that we do as a church, you know, in terms of worship and children's ministry and youth and, and life groups and women of hope Bible studies and and uh, the mission efforts that we do and service projects and, you know, the kind of the reaching, connecting, you know, growing and serving. And all those pieces is for us to, I think, some great things for us to kind of put our, our, our minds and our hearts around t- today that flow out of this passage. And um, I'll let you, just kind of give you a forewarning. I'm thinking about doing a series, feel pretty strongly about doing a series out of First Samuel uh, as we get into it. There's some, there's, there's some tremendous Faith lessons uh, that you see in the life of Eli, and then Samuel, and then Saul, and Jonathan, and David that flow out of this text that are just really tremendous uh, through First Samuel. But let me just—I'm going to read a lengthy portion of this to you, and then I'll come back and make some comments in relationship to it, in, in in connecting it, kind of where we are in terms of launching back into all that we do in the fall as a church, and so. Now, a Philistine garrison, it says in verse 1, took control of the pass at Michmash. The same day, Saul's son, Jonathan, said to the attendant who carried his weapons, Come on, let's cross over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. However, he did not tell his father. Now, Saul was staying under the pomegranate tree in Migron on the outskirts of Gibeah. The troops with him numbered about 600. Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, was also there. The picture you really get there is of the royal royal court. You know, he had he had his 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 personal king um, regiment, if you will, and then he had a priest who had the ephod, which is a priestly garment, and they always wore that when they were consulting the Lord's leadership. And so that's really kind of Saul's royal court. And so it's a mobile court, so they're out here at this place in. On the outskirts of Gibeah, and he was the son of Ahit- Ahitub, the brother of Ichabod, son of Phineas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest at Shiloh. But the troops did not know that Jonathan had left. Now, there were sharp columns of rock on both sides of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach to the Philistine garrison. One was named Bozes, the other, Shinei. One stood to the north in front of Michmash and the other to the south in front of Giba. Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, Come on, let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. That's a reference to the Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by the many or by the few. There's a great spiritual principle. We'll get back to that. Now his armor-bearer responded, Do what is in your heart. You choose. I'm right here with you, whatever you decide. And that's a great armor bearer, but we'll talk about that again in a minute, too. All right, Jonathan replied. We'll cross over to the men and let them see us. If they say, wait until we reach you, then we will say where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up, then we'll go up, because the Lord has handed them over to us, and that will be our sign. So they let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison, and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've been hiding. The men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor "So Come on up, and we'll teach you a lesson, they said. Follow me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to Israel. So Jonathan went up, using his hands and feet, with his armor bearer behind him. And Jonathan cut them down, and his armor bearer followed and finished them off. In that first assault, Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half-acre field. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, in the space of about my front yard, they confronted and killed 20 Philistines, just the two of them. So terror spread through the Philistine camp, and the open fields to all the troops. Even the garrison and the raiding parties were terrified. The earth shook, and terror from God spread. When Saul's watchmen in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, they saw the panicked troops scattering in every direction. So Saul said to the troops with him, "Um, call a roll and determine who has left us. And they called the roll and saw that Jonathan and his armor bearer were gone. And so Saul told Ahijah, bring the ark of God, for it was with the Israelites at that time. And while Saul spoke to the priest, the panic in the Philistine camp increased in intensity. So Saul to the, said to the priest, stop what you are doing. What's going on here is that there was a requirement in the book of Deuteronomy that before the Israelites went out to battle, they were always supposed to consult the Lord and, and have a time of worship. And so they see what's happening with Jonathan, et cetera, and the opportunity is there. So Saul calls the priest and says, let's get this service going so we can get out there. And it's taken too long for him, so he says, forget it. You know, let's just go. And that, that's pretty much what's happening here, right? So Saul and all the troops with him assembled and marched to the battle. And there the Philistines were fighting against each other in great confusion. There were Hebrews from the area who had gone earlier into the camp to join the Philistines. But even they joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So the idea here is that there were those who said, you know, we're never going to beat the Philistines. So if we can't beat them, we might as well join them. So some of the Hebrews had actually joined the Philistine army. So they're willing, they've got Philistine weapons, they're willing to wear a Philistine uniform and etc. cetera. But once the battle starts to turn, they jump in and they start start working with the uh the Hebrews. Um, when all the Israelite men who had been hiding in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they also joined Saul and Jonathan in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day. So there said so those who said, like, you know what, this is a losing battle, I'm not, I'm not gonna be a part of it. And then all of a sudden, when they saw it, it kind of turned around like yeah, let me get in on this. And so they, they, all, they come from their homes and they join. And, and so army, the army of Saul swells, if you will. So the battle extended, it says here, beyond Beth-Avon. And the men of Israel were worn out that day, for Saul had placed the troops under an oath. Cursed is the man who eats food before evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies, so none of the troops had tasted any food. Everyone into the, went into the forest, and there was honey on the ground. Um, when the troops entered the forest, they saw the flow of honey, but none of them ate any of it because they feared the oath. However, Jonathan had not heard his father make the troops swear the oath, and he reached out with the end of his staff he was carrying and dipped it into the honeycomb. And when he ate the honey, he, renewed, um, he was renewed in his energy. Then, then one of the troops said, your, your father made the troops solemnly swear. Cursed is the man who eats food today. And the troops are exhausted. And so Jonathan replied, My father has brought trouble to the land. Just look at how I have renewed energy because I have tasted a little hungry. How much better if the troops had eaten freely today from the plunder they took from their enemies. Then the slaughter of the Philistines would have been much greater. The Israelites struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash all the way to Ajalon. And since the Israelites were... Completely exhausted, they rushed to the plunder, took sheep, cattle, and calves, and slaughtered them on the ground and ate meat with the blood still in it. So some reported to Saul, look, the, the troops are sinning against the Lord by eating the meat with the blood in it. And, and Saul yells out, you have been unfaithful. Roll a large stone over here at once. And he said, come. And then and he then said, go among the troops and say to them, each man must bring his ox or his sheep. Do the slaughtering here, and then you can eat. Don't sin against the Lord by eating meat with the blood in it. So every one of the troops brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he built an altar to the Lord. And we could go on, and and the way the story runs out then is that um, when Saul goes on to, to make additional inquiries of God, saying, should we pursue the Philistines even further? And God doesn't give him a word. And so the conclusion they draw is that somebody has sinned, if you will, or somebody's done something wrong. And when they used the methods that they used in those days to figure out who was in the wrong, the lot fell to Jonathan because he had taken the honey, you know, which uh, it, it, when he was in the, in the field. And the people actually intervened and prevented Saul from actually taking the life of his son, Jonathan. But there was no more war against the Philistines. The battle was limited. They, did, they didn't go on from that point and uh, and pursue it any further. Uh, the The meat here, the, the idea is that the, the soldiers, and maybe they didn't even know the law at this point. We don't know for sure, but they were just so hungry that instead of having taking the time to string the animal up and cut it and drain all the blood out and then to butcher it, they were just literally just killing the animals, hunking off pieces of meat and starting to cook it. And, and, and so that's when they set up this large rock so they could drain the blood out and all, all those kinds of things that are going on. And so let me make a few comments related to this, and then we'll kind of move into our time of prayer together. And uh, the, these are some things that I think are just kind of pieces for us to, to keep in our conversation with God as we pray. And, you know, first of all, um, the magnitude of the challenge here in this text, is, is really pretty incredible. Um, just before this, in verse, chapter 13, the last phrase is said, the Philistines were no dummies. They knew that as long as they had the better arsenals, they would have the upper hand in this relationship with Israel. So they, they made it where every time somebody developed the skills of a blacksmith in Israel, they would either go and capture them or they would kill them. So the... the, the the Philistines were the only one who had iron. In fact, the scripture tells us the only guys among the Israelites who actually had a sword and a spear were Saul and Jonathan. Everybody else was fight, fighting with just pieces of wood. And they're going again, up against guys who were in chariots, guys who were carrying swords, guys who were carrying spears, guys who were carrying metal shields. I mean, it was just, you know, it's kind of like, and, and I don't want to make light of this, but it's kind of like the battle going on right now between, you know, Israel and Gaza, right? You know, the... The guys in Gaza are just firing out rockets hoping they can hit something, you know, and the Israelites are shooting back with laser-guided F-16 missiles, you know, and they can, they can get it. I mean, it's, it's just not a fair fight at the end of the day, right? I mean, and the Philistines just have a huge advantage, not only in terms of their, their equipment, but also they just have a huge numerical advantage. Saul's got 600 guys. They've come up with thousands, Saul and his, and his entourage are pretty much separated. They're down in the southern part of the nation, and they're kind of surrounded and cut off from the rest of the tribes that are farther north, and they're just kind of stuck there, you know. And, and the Philistines have come in to kind of lay low the land again, to, 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 to take the, the harvest, if you will, and also to make sure that Israel isn't developing any military abilities. And the, the challenge is really pretty huge. And, you know, when when I... I often feel like that's the way we feel about church work, isn't it? You know, that that the challenge is pretty significant. Some of that is just by the sheer volume of it, right? You know, here we are, a church of about 400. We have 200, maybe 250 adults that are, let me use the word, reasonably connected. We have some people just kind of come and worship and leave, and, you know, we hardly have an address on them or whatever. It's hard to kind of really see them as a a part of the, the major team, but... But there's, there's two, we, last year we had a little over 200 adults involved in life groups. You know, when you figure that we're in a region that has 100,000 lost people in it within 10 miles of our campus, that's 500 to one. You know, and some of us really struggle to even think that we can lead one person to Christ this year, let alone 500, right? I mean, it's just a, an, a and then you think about just the weekly tasks of having enough childcare workers, and enough drivers for youth stuff, and meat and budget. It just seems like there's just a lot of stuff out there, and the challenge just seems incredibly large to us. And, and I, I think it's really important in the midst of that for us to, to remember that, that our purpose is, is really pretty much straightforward. You know, um, the Israelites' role was to be faithful to God and to take the promised land, that, that's that's what God had commissioned them to do: be faithful to Him, and to take the promised land. And, and they're in the midst of that challenge here. And and you know, I, I just as as a part of as we begin, I, this is nothing new to us. But just like to the Israelites, you know, their job was to be faithful, to be obedient to God, and to take the promised land. Our, our purpose really hasn't changed. Our 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 task as a church, lots of different ways you could say this, but our our task as a church is to be an agent of God's grace by reaching people with the hope of Christ and connecting them to a growing community of faith to serve our world in love. That, that's what our mission is. You, you could probably come up and say that 50 or 100 different ways, but this is the way that we've chosen to express it. That's our, that's our purpose. And, and that hasn't changed since the first service of April of 2002. We may have said this differently at certain periods of time, but this is what our purpose is. And God's calling us to be faithful to this, and to embrace the challenge that goes with it. We have some things that are important to us as we go through this journey, and you know, one of the things that we always want to make sure we hold on to is that people matter to God. You know, because they matter to God, they ought to matter to us. We we also have the conviction, and again, there's lots of ways to say this, but. We, we also know that people need to know how much God can matter to them on a daily basis. You know, most of the people that you know who have some kind of a religious background, they go to mass at least a few times a year or whatever, they show up at, you know, at church for Christmas Eve or whatever, they, they really don't have any appreciation to, to the strength, the guidance, the support, you know, the direction, the purpose that God can give to their lives every single day. And that's what we're trying to to really take on, and we value people knowing that. We 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 value trying to present truth with eternal truth with contemporary re- relevance. We don't want to make we want to make sure that the way we state the message isn't the barrier to the message being understood. Does that, does that make sense? You know, sometimes we can we can say things in such a way that people just can't get it, or they think they've gotten it, and you can't get them past that point. And we're trying to continually work to make sure we articulate the truths of God. We're not trying to compromise the truth of God, but communicate them in a way that really allows people to get, have those spiritual aha moments. We believe that authentic faith transforms everyday life. We should be different because of our faith in Christ. Carte Blanche, that's what we believe. Okay? We believe that faith is a team sport. This isn't something you do on your own. Jonathan didn't go up by himself, did he? Didn't take the whole 600, but he didn't go up by himself. Jesus sent the people out in what? Groups of two, right? Two by two they went out. Faith is a team sport. It's something we're supposed to be doing together. And we believe in serving one another and serving our neighbor. Now, we've identified just a few core objectives for us as a church. And the first one is to reach. And the banners that are out in the lobby, they're going to go back up front and et cetera. I know sometimes they just kind of blend into the backdrop, but I'm trying to kind of pull up to you. Just like... The Israelites had to gather up and go out and engage in battle. Goliath is going to come up in another chapter or two. David's going to come out there with a slingshot, whatever. This isn't going to, the, there are certain things they needed to do. We understand that in, in order for you and I, as a church, to be the agents of God's grace that reach people, we have to reach people. We have to, we have to connect with people and get them from their door to our door. And that's more figurative than it is, sometimes it's literal, literally inviting your next-door neighbors or somebody who lives in your community or somebody you work with and get them from their house to our parking lot, in other words, to to, to actually attend Hope Chapel, but it's really much more designed to be the idea of, you you know, you're trying to introduce people to a relationship with Christ, and and we have to reach people. Sometimes we'll do that corporately. You know, we have outreach events, the Harvest thing that we do, and VBS and some others, but a lot of it's personal. A lot of it is us going out and individually engaging people. But this is, is a part of our mission. It's, it's not rocket science. It's just a matter of our faithfulness to it. We also look into connect with people. It's interesting. One of the, the, church, one of the churches I went to, it's a, uh, it's, it's a large multi-site church in a, in, a, in a neighboring state. And there are four things. We have reach, connect, grow, and serve. And there's our reach, welcome, belong and grow <laughs> so they're very much i mean there's only so many different ways you can cut up the pieces of what we're supposed to do in connecting with people but for us we understand that in order to be a part of a team a faith team to be a part of a family to be a part of the body of christ people have to be engaged in relationship and whatever we do and i'd rather have it be a cultural thing than a programmatic thing but i'd rather be a cultural thing where we are constantly offering relationship to new people and 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 connecting with them. So these are our intentional efforts to lead people to become fully devoted. We, we skipped a couple. Did I hit a couple of extra buttons? There we go. Yeah, we go. These are our, our intentional efforts to build relationships with new people. Then we have grow. You know, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, even to the end of the age, okay? We want to move people from being just friends, but actually growing into the family of Christ to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And lastly, we serve. You know, we, we, we not only serve one another, but we get out and we serve our community. Sometimes it's something very low level, like just helping with a Sterling Fair. And, and I got to tell you, um, you know, probably the biggest thing that will happen out of that is that with some of the, let me use the word, the old timers in town, we gain credibility as a church. We're the new guys some of these people were born here their great grandfathers were born here, you know, and we're always the it's that new fad church over on chocolate road and by engaging you know we we just you know when we were building the building, somebody who lives here in town and and works across the street referred to us as the, the cult church that was built over here you know. they just don't know but, but you gain credibility by engaging you know and and that's that's very that's very profound and significant you know um and because even just the sense of goodwill can open doors for ministry. And, and that's just something we can t- continue to, to nurture along and, and whatnot. But there are a couple of, th- I don't think there's anything else, right? So those are designed to be things that we, not just something we do, but who we really become. And I, I want to I wanna offer a few thoughts related to Reach, Connect, Grow, and Serve, of, of, of being a church that really is an agent of grace by reaching people with the hope of Christ. You know, and connecting them to a growing body to serve our world in love, and 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 one of one of the things I want you to see from the story is that sometimes human initiative creates opportunity for spiritual breakthrough, divinely led and divinely empowered spiritual breakthrough. What Jonathan is sitting in the camp, right, and and there's 600 of them. They're surrounded by thousands. They're never going to go out of the camp. They're going to wait till they're going to. They're going to stay close to each other, right? I mean, it's the only way they're going to survive. He's bored, you know. He's like, you know, he's kind of like David's going to come up later. Like, you know, who are these Philistines to challenge the armies of the living God, right? You know, he's sitting. He's, so he says to his armor bearer, says, "Let's go just let's just go out. Let's just cross over to the other side and see what happens." He he just tries something. He doesn't know if it's going to work. As far as he knows, that they may land up dead before the day's over. But, but he tries them, and, and what does it do? Him taking initiative creates an opportunity that God seizes. I think He planned on seizing, but He pl- He seizes it and He uses it to produce a huge victory. Sometimes, we just got to try stuff. I, I, sometimes we we just got to engage and work at it. You know, just. And, and, and see if God, if God will take it and run with it. Now, I'm certainly not saying we shouldn't be praying, following the Lord's leadership and those kinds of things, but sometimes we can get into a perpetual place where, well, I'm not sure if I feel it yet. Sometimes our human initiative just really creates an opportunity for God to really do some marvelous things. And so we, we need to be praying about that direction and, and see the things that we can do as a part of that. Kind of sub, sub points to that. Sometimes because it's to, it seems to be very difficult, hard, maybe even impossible, doesn't mean that God's not in it. Now, we, we 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 got we got a former lieutenant colonel here, but I don't think you were a military strategist, right? But generally, you would if you were a military st- strategist. One, you would love the element of surprise, right? Secondly, you'd love to have the strategic advantage of the higher ground, right? And third, you'd like your troops to be well-rested and ready to go while the other guys are worn out and et cetera, right? Now, think about Jonathan's plan. Let's just go out and let's just show ourselves to them. So let's take the element of surprise and just throw it away, okay? Then when he gets out there, he says, okay, if they decide to climb down and meet us, we'll know that God's not in this. So if they give up their strategic advantage of being up on top of the hill, okay, and they and they expend all the energy to come down and meet us in the in the in the past, then we'll know God's not in it. But if they call us up to them, where we have to cra- crawl like billy goats on our bellies, using our hands and our knees to get to the top, so when we get up there, we're out of breath and we're sweating, and we can you know we can then God, God's in it. You know, I mean, it's just the exact opposite of how you, way you would plan it, right? I mean, and, and sometimes just because it's hard, you know, we're going to start a new prayer initiative on Tuesday mornings. You know, uh, Hank and Mobley wants to get a group going. We would come in and, 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 and all you do is just pray. We're not going to come in and talk about prayer requests for 40 minutes, pray for four minutes and leave. It's when you get here, right after you get it, you just start praying. You know, and and that's going to start on on Tuesday mornings, and you'll be hearing a little bit more about that. I I think it's starting this week, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, so Ellen and Debbie, I know we're on the same email I got. You know, it, it may be a really small group to start. It might be really hard, you know. There's another group that's talking about starting an intercessory prayer time in my office during the first service, just to be praying for the services while the services are going on. You know, it might be really hard to get a lot. That doesn't mean God's hand's not in it, you know. Some of our reach stuff may be very difficult, but just because it's hard, just because it seems like we're we're having a four, doesn't mean that God's not in it. You know, Jonathan and his armor bearer did it the hard way. <laughs> you know, they did it the hard way. You know, it, if they had kept the element surprised, they get the upper ground, they jump on them in the middle of the night, etc. Their chances of success go up a whole lot more. But God leads them to do it a different way. Notice that they were open to and alert to whether or not god really was in it if they get out and they show themselves and the guys say hey wait hold right there we'll be right down to you then they're going to know you know what we're just going to back away and go back to our camp they weren't going to push it if god wasn't in it but they were going to keep going until god told them to stop and and we need to be alert to that we need to be constantly listening and searching where does God want me to go? What's the next step? How do I do this and following God through this but the thing that thing that really strikes me is that here you have the, the, the human initiative and is blessed by the intervention of God and it creates tremendous momentum. First it's two guys, right? Then the 600 that are in Saul's group get mobilized. Then the guys who had turned traitors switch over, and they're now fighting for the Hebrews again. And then the guys who, were in the, who, who had gone back home and said, I don't want anything to do with this war. We're going to get killed. They come out. I mean, th- th- there's a way in which God can use our efforts to, to pray. And, and one, of the, one of the greatest fears that I have for us as a church, and some of you have heard me say this before, is, is that we lose spiritual momentum. We just get to a place where we're comfortable staying in the camp because the forces are so large around us, and we should just be grateful that we're holding our own, you know. And, and, and yet, if we will keep moving and asking God to bless and stay alert, God will generate this spiritual momentum. I heard a pastor one time, um, came to pastor. He started a church and pastored it for quite a while, and he said getting from 0 to 400 was a lot harder than getting from 400 to 1,400. That's that principle of spiritual momentum. I am not, fa- I'm not fixated on numbers. I do care about people. If we're not reaching more people, if we're not seeing more people come to know Christ, if we're not seeing more people engaged in, in life groups or in other kind of discipleship experiences, then we're not doing our mission right because God cares about people. And we, we ought to be looking for and anticipating a sense of momentum, a sense of buildup as we go as God continues to respond. Maybe this is repeating myself, but, but I think it's worth saying that there's a part of this where we don't need to sweat the numbers. Saul and his armor bearer, they get to the top of the hill, right? And there's two of them. And there's at least 20 guys. At least 20, right? Because they kill 20. And there could have been more, but there's at least 20. Now, as far as I can tell, that's a 10 to 1 ratio. Now, I'm not much of a soldier, and I like a warm shower in the morning and all that kind of stuff. If I get to the top of the hill and there's 20 plus guys there, and we got one sword between the two of us, I'm going back down the hill. Because I'm thinking to myself, all I have to do is I run my armor bearer, and I'm good. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean. But sometimes we just need to not sweat the numbers. You know, God's not constrained to save by the many or by the few. I don't know if we really believe that, but that's what He says. He's, it, 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 we don't. We don't have to have. 50 people in our ministry before it can have an impact. Sometimes it can just be two or three of us. And if we're faithful and working it, God, God can do some special things. We may not have a lot of money in our budget to support the aspects, but that doesn't mean that God can't use it. We may, you might not even have a lot of time that you can invest in it, but it doesn't mean that you, God, can't use it. Don't sweat the resources. Just commit your heart to it. Follow what God calls you to do and do it because the numbers aren't necessarily the ones that are going to dictate the outcome. Couple of things. Uh, this is this is probably this text is so incredible, not because of Jonathan's courage, but of the, because of the armor bearer's faithfulness. I mean, if, if you're the armor bearer, right, and you're you're, you, you got, you're you're carrying his sword, as soon as the battle starts, you're handing everything to him, and you're standing in the back, and all you've got is a wooden club, right? You know. And he says to you, well, hey, listen, I'm thinking about going up in a challenge to the Philistines. You want to go? (laughs) What would you say? You know, I'd say, hey, I'll pray for you. I'll get down on my knees right now. (laughs) And yet the armor bearer says, you know what? What you have in your heart is in my heart. I got to tell you, that idea of in order for our ministries to really flourish, we have to have people who lead and people who follow who are equally committed to the work. Now let that sink in for a minute. You know, we have to have people who lead as well as people who follow whose hearts are equally in the work. This, 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 this team, this unity, this connection between Jonathan and his armor bearer is incredible. And, and, it, and it's that kind of connection between leader and follower, between, you know, between... You know, team members as a general, oh mean we don't have a real hierarchical kind of approach here, right? I mean, you know, but it's not just the, the commitment that Christina has to worship ministry, but it's also what her, her team, the members of the team are, whether you're doing the, the video projection or doing the soundboard or playing the guitar or singing. I mean, our hearts have to be equally in it. And when that happens, it releases a spiritual power that that, that can have two guys take on a garrison and be victorious. And, and, and so I, I, I'm really in many ways asking you again today to fall in love with Christ. Fall in love with Christ's church. And fall in love with the church's mission. Because it's something we all have got to do. It's not just enough for me. It's not enough just for me and Ken and Steve and Christina and Barbara, the people who are on the staff. It's got to be us. Now it may look a little differently or whatever, but but all of us have to have that heart that's in it if we're really gonna make this work. And 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 God's just looking to do some some critical things. And so I also want you to appreciate the the vital role of obedience in this. The victory that the people of God could have achieved that day was limited. By the disobedience of Saul. Came in two ways. One, he, you, know, he, you can appreciate where Saul's at, right? You know, he, he knows that the scripture says he should hold a worship service, let the priest who's wearing the ephod approach God, see if God's hand's in the battle, then we'll go out, right? And so this is, the service is getting set up. They're adjusting the sound equipment. They're doing all this different. They're getting the fire going for the altar, or whatever. The, the priest is getting his garments on so he can do all this stuff. And the whole time Saul's looking out and the Philistine guys are running like this. And he's like, this is taking too long. I mean, they're, they're going to be all gone. We're not even going to be able to find them if we keep waiting. So he says to the guy, that's enough. You know? And so instead of doing it God's way, he does it in his own wisdom. And so in order to muster the guy's commitment, he says, "Nobody eats anything till we get tonight." So here the guys are out there. They, they, they expend all of their energy, they're not taking any new calories in. You notice what it says when Jonathan dipped I mean, the bees often made their nests in the ground there. And so, you know, as, there, as the Philistines are fleeing, they're stepping on the stuff. And so you're walking through and there's an open beehive that's been opened up and there's honey in it. And Jonathan just sticks his staff in there and says that just by taking a little bit of honey, and honey supposedly is just packed with a lot of good stuff for you, it says his eyes brighten. You know, it's, it's like it restored stuff that was missing from his body. You know, the other guys, they don't have this, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's gone. And, and and just those and just those simple acts of disobedience, just led to a place where. And then that led to a breakdown in the camp where they couldn't really get a, God, a word from God to pursue the Philistines the next day, because they had to figure it all out with John. And, and notice what John says: my father has troubled the people of Israel today." You know, and and in the midst of all of this. We, we can't do this in our own power. We can't do this in our own wisdom. We can't do this in our own energy. You know, we can't do this in a way that we would like it to have it done. We have to do it in a way that's faithful to what God's called us to do. We have to be obedient in the midst of all of this. And so um, our, our our purpose remains the same. And I don't care how you break it down. We have to reach people. We've got to get people connected. We've got to get people growing in Christ, and we're going to mobilize people to serve in His name. You can say that in lots of different ways, but that's what we're about as a church, and it takes all of us being in this together, and um, and, and sometimes us just trying some stuff and seeing God come alongside. or are trying some things, and if God doesn't come alongside, okay, let's back up. Maybe there's another path we're supposed to go through, but, but we need to, to, to engage and move forward. So Curious. Any any thoughts or comments and reaction, any questions or anything? And then we'll have some time to pray together here. I bet you didn't think I was going to be speaking out of 1 Samuel at our meeting today, huh? That was a similar thing with Joshua 1 9. Joshua, uh, God says, have I commanded you to be courageous and brave? Don't be discouraged or disappointed because I'm going to be with you. Yeah. Joshua's saying, Who me? And God's saying, I'm saying, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. Any questions or thoughts on reaching and connecting and growing and serving? Anybody still awake? The sandwich is kind of trying to run the air a little bit. keep from getting too hot in here. Yep. We have to remember our first love. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's easier just to stay in the camp, isn't it? Uh, you know, even after this tremendous victory, they're going to get over a chapter or two, and Goliath is going to be standing out in the field, and the, fi- and, 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 and the army is like, they've already had one big victory over these guys, and they're like, I ain't going out there. I ain't going out there. <laughs> you know? So it, sometimes we need to relearn these lessons over and over again, don't we? Yeah, and I don't mind doing the job, but I'd love for you guys to do part of that too. So in terms of sharing your faith, she's she just talking about the idea of of all of us taking the responsibility to share our faith, and, and and it's the same with with just connecting with people here. You know, just just keep a you just need to keep an eye out and stay alert. You know, I, I really do. I, I think that if if you just set aside five minutes of your time in the building when we're not actually having worship service, but just five minutes of your time. We could meet every single person who vi- visits us. They can meet a half a dozen people before they leave if we just take five, just take the first five, okay because they 're going to be the first people to leave. I guarantee you that like i did, I went out into these lobbies of these churches, I kind of looked around, I tried to see this and that, you know nobody really came up, and I just started walking slowly for the door and you 're gone you know i didn 't rush. I gave it people, but it just you know if, if we're if we put them at the end. They're going to already be at McDonald's, you know, with the Happy Meal coming through the window before we have time for them. So, and, uh, anyways, but. Yeah, yep. on it a while ago. Yep. For you introverts. People, most people have pretty good in, re, antenna, right? And if you're an introvert and you still go appro- approach somebody that's, that you don't really know, that sends a message. I mean, I know it's really challenging, but it sends a message to them. They, they, they get it, that you're, that you're really taking a, a step out of character to connect with them. You know? and, it, 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 and and I think it's actually one of the stronger things that happens. You know? the, the extroverts like me, you know, like big deal. You know, they talk to everybody, you know, kind of idea. And so uh, I, I really do think that it sends a message in a, in a, in a unique way.